Welcome back, everyone. This is Fitness Reborn Podcast. I'm Sean, and my guest today is Paul Zolman. He's the love language linguist and the author of Role of Love. He's here to talk to us today about all the love languages. And uh, as I was telling Paul before we started recording here, is that I have had uh, I've had uh, encounters with the love language thing before. And uh, we'll go into that a little bit more here, but that's kind of what brought me, brought Paul to my attention here. I haven't had anyone talk about the love languages and how it's kind of so uh, paramount to people in relationships, uh, platonic, platonic and romantic. Paul, thanks for coming on. John, it's great pleasure to be with you. Thanks for the invitation. Yeah, yeah. So the, uh, all right, well, let's just kind of go into it. I like to kind of start with like a kind of an early context here. So people kind of know where we're coming from. Um, so what's, what's your, uh, what's the early context of your um, introduction into love languages or what brought you, what brought you into this, this realm? Sean, that's a great question. It actually was the opposite of love that brought me here. I was raised in a very angry family and wanting to get over that residual anger I has as an adult I was I started making declarations like I don't want to be angry. It's like a double negative, and it only works in math that you multiply two negative numbers together makes a positive. It doesn't work in relationships, and I started to realize that. And and, and I I was blaming my father. I felt like a victim. My father beat me at, when I was young, and I was just blaming all my awkward relationships, all the awkwardness in social settings as well as my family settings on my father. And I, I kept blaming him till about age 35. And so that's that's kind of the context there that I just had this lingering problem that I wanted to overcome. And, and I looked to the love languages to help me out with that. So how did you come across love languages? I mean, because, I mean, just from some background about myself, like me, me and my, uh, my now ex-wife, we had this um, we had this uh, this thing with the love languages brought to our attention when we were in counseling. I think actually before we were even married, um, because there was just a lot of non communication or mismatched communication going on between us, and obviously it never resolved itself because we're now divorced. But um, we were given this book by a therapist talking about the differences in love languages. You know, the spoken, the you know, the uh, the non verbal kind, all this. I I forget. I think there was like five total right, or something right. like that five total or something like that and so you know we got this book and it you know didn't work out for us but it was interesting so um did you find out what your you love language is well sean it's very interesting i probably had a very similar experience as you did with the love language book and that i i read through it four or five times i didn't get it I came from a, <laughs> no, seriously, I did not get it. I came from a a, yeah. a, a, a culture of anger, you know, the humorous co uh, part of part of that. It's angry humor. The put downs are there. The talking over some people that that's all part of that angry culture. And from that angry culture, I didn't get that. That Sean, if I guess what love language you are, and if I cater to that, they're calling that love. Seriously. That's like manipulation. And it did not sound right to me. That didn't work for me. I'm a bad guesser anyway. So that wasn't working for me. And then the second thing that Dr. Chapman has in the book says, well, if you take this survey, then you find out what your love language is. 
What are you supposed to do with that? Advertise? Hello, Sean. I'm Gifts. What do you have for me today? <laughs> really, I'm done with the awkward. Over, I'm way over it. So I thought, you know, one thing that really brought our family together when I was a, a child was that we played games together. It was mm -hmm. still the smack talk, still the put down, still the competition, still the strategy, all those things in that angry culture. But it brought our family together. And I thought, well, I wonder if I could make this a game. So I contacted Dr. Chapman. I sent him an email. And his attorney wrote me back. Well, what I was asking was that, Dr. Chapman, are you licensing these icons, the little pictures that you have of the different love languages? Because I wanted to use it in the game. And the attorney wrote back and said, no, we're not doing that right now. Thankfully, I was grateful. I thought they were ugly. They're from 30 years ago. They were really outdated and everything. So I went to my own attorney and uh, here in town, and he said, He's a copyright attorney, intellectual property attorney. He said that theory, like the love language theory, is not copyrightable. Application is. So the way that they're presented was not in a game. So I felt uh, appropriate. I could make my own icons. I could make my own game and I'd be okay. And so that's what I did. So I, I got the copyright on this, this cube mm -hmm. in 2017. Now, I've got the love languages on the cube. So there's just two instructions. You roll the cube every day. Whatever comes up, that's the love language you practice giving away all day that day. So for the audience, I have two hands together forming a heart. From that heart, I have a conversation fly up. So these would be the words from the heart. Now, I've got a hand holding an hourglass. That would represent time. Hand holding a platter representing service. Um, got a hand holding a gift representing gifts. And then there are two hands touching one another represent touch. So those are five love languages. Six sides on the cube. The last one I created was surprise me. So on that day, it's just doing random acts of kindness. As I mentioned, two instructions. You roll the die every day. That's the love language you practice giving away all day that day. So what I realized through this whole process, Sean, was that I don't have any control over anybody loving me. Or even if I bid love to come my way, it just doesn't work. You know, it's, you get to that whiny thing that that um, Dr. Chapman probably did un, in an, unintentionally. But if I tell you what my love language is and, and then you tell me what yours is, what if I don't do it? Or what if you don't do it? You get this whiny, whiny voice of, well, I told you what my love language is. Why aren't you doing it? And it just gets to that point that you don't want to go. So I thought, I have zero control over that. What I do have control over is sending it out without any expectation of it coming back, but trusting the, the laws of the universe, like the law of the harvest or karma or the law of attraction. You send it out, it's coming back. Trust that, that it'll come back eventually but just send it out without any, any expectation of it coming back. It'll come back. The second thing that happens when you're doing this over a 30-day period is that you get to know all five love languages. You know them backwards and forwards. You could name them off the top of your head. I didn't have that experience going, even th going through the book four or five times. It didn't go through me. I did, it didn't resonate with me in that way. But this game makes you fluent in all the love languages. You actually become what I like to call a love language linguist, Sean. I know it's a sexy title. I know you want it. 
You want to put that on your resume. Everybody wants that title. Put it on your resume. And when you go to that employer, the employer is going to say, what the heck is a love language linguist? And you're going to say, I just love people. They want their customers love and they want a loving environment within the workplace. Your resume will rise to the top just because of that. Second thing that happens is it really gives you that peripheral vision that you'd never had before. I didn't have it before either, that you can see it when it's coming your way, even though it might not be your primary love language. You can say, oh, they're loving on me. I can respond to that. Yeah, I, I guess uh, when we were going through this, uh, this whole pattern of learning the love languages, I guess what I did not appreciate was the fact that, yeah, you're, you're kind of right there. It's like, well, if you don't act in this way, this according to this way that you're told to act as a demonstration of love, well, then what are you supposed to do with that? You're supposed to interpret that, oh, you stop loving me now? Um, so yeah, you're kind of, yeah, you are, you're kind of boxed into a, a really bad space there. And, uh, I think it just kind of, yeah, I, I think there's a reason why it didn't work with us. I think it just kind of, it was kind of, um, um, built for disaster in a way, you know, it was kind of like, you know, setting us up to fail. Um, so I guess you, what you did is you created a sixth option here, right? Like you, yep. Right. Okay. You created the sixth option here. So you roll the dice. Was so you you roll the dice, and it's a thirty day game or something like that. Or no, you no, roll no. You roll you roll it every day, Sean. Okay. You roll the dice but over a you know a, takes about between twenty one to twenty eight days to form a habit. And okay. What, what the habit is? What the habit I wanted was what I the problem I had, Sean, was that the, with this residual anger I had from growing up. I mm -hmm. felt I found out myself stacking annoyance on top of annoyance, on top of annoyance, on top of annoyance until I have this flash, this flash of anger. And that flash of anger uh, soon became de a, a definition. When's it going to happen again? When's he going to flash again? And they're watching for the flash there. It doesn't matter all the kindnesses you do up until that time, but it's the annoyances that they're counting and the flashes that they're counting now. I didn't want to have that lifestyle, did not want to be perceived like that as an angry person from an angry family. And I realized I, I needed to change it. And I had, it's a generational thing that was passed down for my parents. So my, my father had it. I have a bro brothers that had it. It was just something that was in the family. I wanted to stop it. That's all I wanted. So I needed a replacement behavior. So rolling the die kind of, it gave me that replacement behavior because before what I was saying was what's wrong with that person? And and being annoyed at whatever that person was doing, I realized that's out of my lane. That's their choice. And why, what am I doing? It's not even my business. Stay out of the business of their choices because I have zero control over that. Stay in my lane. What I have control over is sending out love and responding appropriately when it comes back to me. And as I stood in that lane, I realized that now... And when I'm rolling the die and following the genre or the, the type of love for that day, I'm watching for, well, what's right about that person? What can I love about that person? And, and no longer, I, I was so busy doing that, Sean, that I had zero time to be annoyed at something that the other person was doing. It was actually a perfect replacement behavior for me. So I could set aside that annoyance, set aside that anger that I had. That was even out of my control. We all get angry about things that are out of our control. 
like the government or like like taxes or like things like that that are really kind of out of our control. We get angry about it, but we got to focus on the positive that's going to help help us have a better life. So the people ever tell you though, like, well, okay, that's that's a great that's a great uh, that's a great premise there, and you know, it certainly makes sense. You know, you get exposure to all forms of love there and all different uh, forms of expression there. But obviously, people kind of are geared towards one or the other more so than the other four or five, right? So, you know, so say if your love language is the gifts, and so I don't know, for whatever reason, you don't roll on the gift option for as many times as you roll the die. And so your, your, your love language is not what they're, is not in their, their lane, mm -hmm. essentially, then they're kind of like left there. It was like, oh, well, that's, that's great. And then that's just kind of like, well, okay, maybe, maybe tomorrow will be a different story. <laughs> maybe I'll actually get my actual fix tomorrow. I don't know. So it doesn't it tend to leave some people a little bit dissatisfied. No, uh, that's a great question, Sean. And, and the way I, I explain that is that what you're watching for as you're rolling a die, you're watching for people to light up. So when they light up, that's, that could be their primary or a secondary love language, something that they really like. Your watch, your the whole premise of this is that you're helping people light up. When they do light up, you're making a mental note that oh, that they like that. They that's something that I can just uh, wash, rinse, repeat, do that over and over again for that person. But I think that these these love languages kind of are volatile. They change a little bit over over time. Just for example, when I was growing up, just because of all the beating and everything else. If I wasn't being whacked, I felt I was not being loved. And so, so it's interesting. Yeah, it, it's kind of a, a crazy, a wacky a type of feeling that I, that I had. But now it's changed more to words. And the, just the words really kind of helped me um, have, I just like compliments. I, I like giving compliments as well as, as getting them back. I like people that encourage one another. And that's uh, I gravitate toward that now, rather than you know I don't need to be whacked anymore, and I don't and it's and it, physical touch is important. Obviously, it's important important, especially in an intimate relationship. I don't I don't need that as as often as I do need the words and and it's just watching for those people that light up. That's the whole new thing that you're doing, and you're you people like variety. If you if you you mentioned being put into a box, this this really takes the box size away. That you're going to have that variety, that spice of life that keeps things interesting for you. What my wife does is she tries to guess what love language I'm practicing each day. It's kind of a fun thing for her to just watch and observe what I'm doing that day, just to see if she can guess what the love language. And she's learned all the love languages in that way. So did you ever learn, I'm mean, just kind of going back to your background here, did you ever learn where this kind of heritage of anger came from in your family? Because I can kind of relate to that myself because um, it's it's in a lot of my family too, especially on my, my father's side. It's just, it's a lot of cynicism and kind of like just in, built in negativity and stuff like that. And uh, I think a lot of it's fueled by probably drink too like that's that follows that follows in my father's side of the family too and i 
really have done my part to stay away from that uh, as I've gotten older. Um, but, you know, looking at it now, I think it's just like, I can't speak for my grandfather because I didn't know him that well. Uh, he died when I was still very young. Um, but it seems like it's kind of rooted in a sense of un uh, like unfairness, like, or like, just like I got handed a bad, a bad hand in life. You know, things are not very fair to me. Life sucks because of that. There's all this, mm -hmm. there's all this corruption. There's all this, you know, just it, it, the world is is just such a in, in such a, a bad way. I don't know, and I really doubt that today it's any really realistically any worse than it ever has been. Maybe actually, and realistically, it's better than it has been a lot of times throughout history. Um, but it just kind of if you watch like the news, of course. Mm -hmm. It just tells you all the bad stuff, I and mean, everyone knows that the nature of the news is geared towards the negative. But then oh, people yeah. still people still watch it, and they still drink it up. So I don't know what to say about that. Like you know, this is bad, but you're still tuning into it. I don't get you. Yeah. But um, but it seems like that's what it really comes from. If I really had to like kind of psychoanalyze my 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 dad and his side of the family, I mean, there's a lot of good that comes from his family his side of the family too. But that seems to be a lot of it, and I think. The anger, the the unfairness, seemingly unfairness of it all. Maybe it's also kind of woven into depression. I'm sure. I'm sure. I know for me, like depression for me, my it comes out in anger, like just getting angry. That's that's what depression looks like to me. A lot of people will get really like sad and you know cry a lot and stuff like that. No, I, I I turn angry, you hmm. know. So I can see that in myself, and. So I'm just kind of curious, did you, were you ever able to trace what the roots were or at least uh, have a going theory as to where that really came from on your dad's side, on your family's side? A little bit. Great question, Sean. And I think you're spot on when you're, when you're saying it's, it's generational. Not necessarily genetic, but it's generational. Mm -hmm. We learn what our parents teach us. And if they teach us to blame others for their problems, it's that victim mentality. And, mm -hmm. and that can pass on just that very process of blaming someone for your problem could be something that easily is picked up by children and passed on to, to, to the next generation, unless you stop it. And, and that's one, one thing. The, the other thing is that I think that my grandfather uh, just had a crisis situation and made a bad decision, major decision, major life decisions in that crisis. And he didn't really realize that in a major crisis, you don't make any major decisions. You 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 just kind of stand still and wait for the storm to pass. Then you go out and, and try to figure out, pick up the pieces. He had nine children after that ninth child. Shortly after that ninth child, his wife passed away in Indiana, not far from where you're at. And and with that, he he made a decision I'm just, I'm so distraught. I'm going to sell the farm. I'm going to sell all the equipment. When people came to pick up the equipment, he said, and would you like this child? And would you like this child? And would you like this child? And systematically gave all the children away, except for one. Took that one child with him to Montana, found a school teacher that had never been married, and married her and had 10 more children, of which my father's number six. So 19 children, my father was born in 1922. His father passed away in 1932 when he's 10 years old. And 
now you've got 19 children with abandonment issues. If you're in the middle of a depression, financial depression, worldwide financial depression, and and it's just those kind of pressures of life, just making bad decisions in 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 really uh, crisis, times of crisis. And he didn't learn that. And so my family grew up, my father grew up in that type of thing, made a bad decision to drop out of school when he just had graduated from eighth grade, did not get any more education. So I think there's, we're com- compounding a lot of these, these little bad decisions and it's just continuing to make bad decisions that way. Uh, because of that, he, he, he could, he only, be, he became a truck driver. I know that he never made more than $12,000 in a year. And that was, that was a big time. You know, that was a big year to, to make $12,000 in his lifetime. But it just, it just was really hard financially. So I'm number 10 of 11 children. My father, kind of tamp- tamped down the generation. He didn't have 19 children like his father did. He only had mm-hmm. only had 11. Sean, I only have eight. So we're, <laughs> the generations are getting better. But my kids only have three. I want more grandchildren. Why can't they have more kids? And so so the generations kind of wash each other. And, and we try to, you know, when you're 17 or 18 years old, you're making decisions like, I'm never going to be like my father if you didn't like your father, or I'm, I'm going to do things differently when I get married. And you make those, those commitments and decisions. And sometimes it turns out, sometimes it's the same old thing. But this is one of those things that I realized that I need to stop that anger pattern of stacking those annoyances to, to have that flash. Now, what happens is that by rolling the die and practicing kindness every day, I'm stacking kindness on top of kindness, on top of kindness, on top of kindness. What that does, Sean, is it, it, these are stair steps now to intimacy, stair steps to forgiveness, stair steps to compassion, stair steps to charity, empathy, sympathy. All you're stacking that, that's what you come to when you practice these basic fundamental five love languages. You know, Dr. Gary Chapman was a reverend or pastor, and mm-hmm. and he he had identified that these five love languages actually reconcile to the life of Jesus Christ. That that he he touched people, he touched their eyes or their ears, their eyes so they could see, their ears so they could hear. We absolutely love his words. He spent time with people. Obviously, served people had gifts of the Spirit. Every one of the love languages reconciled to that life. If we want to be more like him, and I am Christian, I want to be more like him, this is, the, this is a way to get there. It's not the only way, but it's the start of the path. We've got to learn all five love languages as a basic so that we can make that stair step back to forgiveness. If you think, of, think about insulting someone, insulting someone, insulting someone, you think you're going to get forgiveness from them? You're out of your mind. It's not going to happen. It's not going to happen. So uh, just kind of curious. I mean, I, I kind of, I've gotten the impression that this is something that is, one, something people are very interested in and something that kind of speaks to something that I think is maybe lacking in people mm-hmm. and lacking in the world in general, because um, I've just noticed that 
you know, we're both on pod match here. It's how we connected with one another. And, you know, you're flying high there. You're at the top of the heap in terms of guests to have on. So I know that I'm just, and you told me before we started broadcasting here, you've got another one right after me. So I know people really are intrigued by this and they want to hear this. And, you know, I'm just kind of, I'm just kind of like, I'm really kind of impressed by the response that you've gotten and how in demand you are. What do you take away from that? Uh, hard question, John. I, I'm not sure how to answer, answer that. Podmatch is kind of interesting is that I can invite myself actually to, to be on any one podcast. You, mm-hmm. you, on the other hand, invited me to be on the podcast. Right. That's not happening as much as you might think. It, oh, okay. It, it's more of me inviting myself, and if they agree, then that's how I get on the podcast. So it's, you know, you're you're more unique. You're more the unicorn. Of, oh, really? Of, yeah, exactly. Okay. Yeah, yeah. And so it's not not so much. It's just I'm trying to trying to make sure that the message gets out there that this. This really is the basics of, of what we really, our society needs right now. You're absolutely right. You're spot on when you say the media is geared towards selling the negative itself. Love doesn't sell that great. I mean, I'm, I'm just telling you, it does, it's not selling that great. And it's, <laughs> um, and it's, and it's frustrating in, in a little way, but it's, it's understandable. It really takes time to send out love, but it takes time to send out anger too. It just depends on which boomerang you want to send out. You send out that angry boomerang. That when to go up takes takes a little a little less velocity to go up. But when that thing comes back down, it has gravity with it. You better be careful when that boomerang comes right back to you. Anger will come back to you probably ten times what you send it out. It's really going to come back with a buzz that's going to could hurt you worse than what you hurt them. And it's really, you don't want to do that. Why, why are we looking at the faults of another? How's that going to turn out? They're going to look at, now they're going to look at our faults. Why do we mm-hmm. want that? Or do we really want that? Why do we keep sending it out? Just to your question, uh, why are you still watching that stuff? And it's just that same yeah. thing. Yeah. Well, I, I'm kind of surprised that I'm kind of the exception rather than the rule, actually, because, you know, I, I go on your, I go on your site there and you've got, tons of reviews i think more than i've ever seen anyone else and they're all sparkling reviews i don't know if it's i i i don't think it's all just people being extremely kind and nice um i think it's a lot of it because a lot of people they write comments in their their novel lengths saying oh my god paul's so awesome this was such a great conversation so needed so so desired and it's like wow i mean again i mean you Again, you're at the top of the heap there, and you've been there for a long time there, even with the changeover, like, you know, how things change out every month, the leadership board and whatnot. I usually don't pay much attention to it, but when I see the same face at the top of the heap, <laughs> the same face at the top, it catches my attention. So I'm kind of surprised that I'm um, I'm different from the others here. Well, I appreciate that, Sean, and I, I'm glad that you're seeking for things that are, that are, are good, and I'm glad, you know, if that drew your attention, I'm glad for it. I don't even pay attention to that. Really, I've, I've never paid attention to the leaderboard. It's not not a goal of mine. The goal of mine is really really to talk to as many people as I can to help help just spread love around the world. 
this is really fun for me too. Um, you know, last week there was one day that I was talking with someone in the UK and I was talking with someone in, in Paris and I was talking with someone in India and Tennessee and Texas and all those places all in one day. And it just, I can travel the world from my office and I can be safe. I don't mm-hmm. have to go to Israel. I don't have to go to a war zone to, to, to be, be there, but it, it's, it's a safe thing. I really want to get the message out and it just begins one by one. It might begin with you starting to love, starting to watch for opportunities to love today. We all are into this mode of watching for opportunities for rage, opportunities to be mad. Why are we watching for those opportunities? It's not going to get us anywhere. It's not going to get us what we want. Kindness is is the is the really the way to get what you want. Uh, truthfully, it'll get the best things in life for you. So, I kind of forgot the question I was going to ask there, but uh, <laughs> that does happen. Um, so, all right. So, the role of love, the love language, and you know, the love language interpretation. Um, I don't know. It's kind of a broader question. There is like, why do you think we're so so uh, uh, geared towards being angry as opposed to being love? Here, I mean, um, you know, we if you look at popular songs like love songs, reign and have for ever. Mm-hmm. You know, so people people like hearing love love songs, and they like the idea and the concept of love romance novels sell probably more than any kind of novel that's that's being written. Um, all of this has to do with, you know, tenderness and warmth and compassion and even desire uh, to people. So it's kind of strange then that you find out people are engineered to be angry, to do the very opposite. Well, I, think I mean, that, I, I, I know you're I know you're not a psychoanalyst. And so I'm not asking you to give like a, a clinical diagnosis as to what that or why that really is. But what's your uh, what's your uh, input on that? Sean, it's a great question. I think that it's it really is something that that I realized about myself. The, the blame game is out there. Mm. People are all constantly blame someone else for their problems. They're not going to move to be more loving if they're blaming people it kind of puts you in a stationary spot. What the way I like to explain that, Sean, and I apologize for using a, a, a little prop or something, but okay. the other Sorry. day I was out walking and found this stick and it's on one side, it's just really, really nice. Um, and you can put your hand there, not going to hurt yourself. On this side, you've got the little points and these little knots here. So I call this the naughty side of the stick. And then mm-hmm. this, this side, the nice side of the stick. Santa Claus has a stick just like that. That's how you get your presents at Christmas. I know you didn't know that, but that's how they come. So the naughty side of the stick it has the, where the anger culture is. And that's where I was. And when I realized I was on that side of the, 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 the end of the stick, I wanted to be on the nice side of the stick. But I realized also that if I blame someone, I'm not moving one way or another. I'm at, because it's their problem. When it's their problem, I don't have to do anything. I don't have to change. I don't have to move one way or another. I had the opportunity to choose to do nothing, to still keep blaming people. It doesn't move you anywhere on the spectrum. I had the opportunity to become more angry. I didn't want that. But I also 
realize that I have an opportunity to be more loving, to learn the love language, learn the love culture, the, the loving humor, the kindness, learn all about that and then embrace that. And that's what I decided I wanted to do. I'm not perfect in that, but it, it's something that I wanted to do. And I think that each one of us all around the world could, could use 1% more kindness every single day. If we're watching for kindness and watching for opportunities to extend kindness, it's, it's diabolically different. It's 180 degrees from watching for opportunities to be angry. Or you could wake up and say, what's going to happen today? It's going to be willy-nilly, come what may, but I could be angry or I could be sad or I could be mad. And all those emotions you could go through during the day, or you can choose at the beginning of the day, as I do, choose how you're going to love. And if you make that choice at the beginning of the day, I put pictures on this so it will be easy to remember. You remember pictures in your mind a whole lot more than you remember any words. If you can remember those pictures all day long to practice love in that way, watch for those opportunities, you're always focused in that right direction of sending love out. And you're never going, never turning your head back 180 degrees around and looking the other way. So how can I be mad? There are a lot of people out there that say, if this happens, they have a plan to be mad. I'm going to be mad. They're planning to be mad if something bad happens or if something happens that they wasn't just the way they want to have it happen. Why are we planning to be mad? We should be planning to be grateful, planning to be loving, planning to be helpful, to have that compassion on one another is what we really need to be planning on. And that's what I'm talking about is the, the work, making the world a better place. And I don't have a dark view of the world. I have a really now, I used to before, but now it's a brighter view of the world because looking at you, Sean, looking at anyone, people are 80 to 90% mostly good. Why were we focusing on that minority part of, part of the personality, the faults of another, the weaknesses of another, focusing on that as if it's not going to come back to us? Focus on the right things of the person, the good part, the 80 or 90% that is good in people, and, and shine, make that shine. It's like a magnifying glass. Whatever you focus on is going to get larger. Why do we want their weaknesses? Why do we want their faults to get larger? Focus on the good. So how do you uh, find this message really carries out? Because you just said, like, you talk to people from everywhere in the world, you know, from India to Tennessee to anywhere. How do you find this language? How do you find these love languages messages really kind of tra on translate across cultures? Because, you know, but, you know, all languages and all interpretations and all kind of philosophies of life change pretty dramatically, even by just by going to different states. You know, you're in Utah, I'm in Iowa, you know, kind of a, a different landscape altogether in a lot of ways. I mean, there's a lot of similarities, perhaps, but just even going, you know, a few states west for me would be a completely different area to live in. Um, so do you find like there's a lot of uh, miscommunication or misinterpretation or even kind of rejection when you talk when you talk about certain love languages? Interesting question. You know, I, we don't have as many cornfields or hogs here in Utah as they do in Iowa. And mm -hmm. so, so it, it's a different environment, a different circumstance. 
but people really are the same. And I think that you you change the circumstance. Love is still a, a vital vital part of people. People need to love everywhere in the world, and we really need to spread that love anywhere in the world. Everybody has the same, uh, you know, Maslow's hierarchy of needs. We mm. all we all have you know, food, shelter, and clothing. We all have those needs, basic needs anywhere in the world. Love is becoming one of those basic needs that, that it's a couple rungs up on the on the hierarchy, but we all have that same need. And it really translates very, very easily to all all parts of the world. That's another reason why there's no words on this. Time, that the hourglass is is kind of a universal symbol that measures time. Service is those are universal symbols. You'll see the heart, people making the hearts all over the place. Touching is universal, and gifts gifts also are universal. All it's all universal, and so really there there are no boundaries when it comes to love. Uh, in that way, there are of course boundaries of, with love, but there's no boundaries of of the, in around the world of love having the. Um, and not having the permeating effect on every every individual all over the world, so it's really the same. There are places like in India, you know, they've had they've had Mother Teresa and they've had Gandhi, but when you talk about that, and I, I asked this person from India, you know, he's he's um, in his late thirties, and I asked him, do you, are you is are the people of India good because of Mother Teresa and Gandhi? He just gave me this funny look. That would be like me asking you, Sean, how would you have been affected by John F. Kennedy? I mean, it's ancient history for that person. It really was ancient history, something that happened a long, long time ago. But but he's, his answer was very interesting. He said, most of the places of worship will teach the, this one principle, that we look for the good in other people and recognize the bad that we have ourselves. Just that, that simple. Look for the good in other people, recognize our own bad. We've got that turned around here in the United States. We look for the bad in other people, thinking we're all, all great, high and mighty, that we're great looking for their bad. And it seems to elevate us. If we can put somebody down, we think that we're stepping up. It doesn't work that way. It really doesn't. But it's unfortunate that we think that it does. And we keep doing it. And that may be one of the perks that people have, that if you can put, push somebody down, make them feel sad, that makes you a better person. It's like beating somebody up. Mm-hmm. Now now you're king. And it, it doesn't work. It absolutely does not work in this, in this arena. It doesn't work for love. So, all right, here, here's a big question here. All right, so we're talking about the love and the uh, and the permitting effects of love, and how we should how we should actually conduct ourselves in terms of actually looking to the better parts of somebody and actually using that to elevate ourselves and everybody else here. And obviously, you've tied this uh, love language in with your own spirituality. You know, you've identified yourself as a Christian. And, but the, it's hard to kind of get around the fact that, you know, the spiritual, the spirituality wrapped up in love has not always really been there, or the association of it has not always been there. If we look for like divisions among people, which you just spoke about, a lot of it is kind of 
social religious or just plain religious. Um, we have, you know, lots of conflicts right now that are re religiously driven. Mm -hmm. They've always been religiously driven. Right. If you want to look at the Israeli Palestinian conflict that's going on right now, which is just the, you know, the latest, the latest blow up and something that's been going on for a very long time. Since it's nothing Daniel new. Daniel and Goliath, right. Right. Long before for, that. I'm, right. I mean, and there's political, there are political reasons, more recent political reasons as to why it's happening. And that actually may have something more to do with it than just the, uh, the ancient uh, religious historical reasons. Um, but in any case, it's there and it's not exactly seen as a, as a uniting force. It's really more kind of seen as a kind of a fight for survival. It's more Darwinian, weirdly enough. It's more of a kind of Dar Darwinian fight for survival here, a survival of the fittest than it is, you know, if everything kind of teaches the same basic message of love and togetherness then what, why don't we see it more often? That's a great question. And, and that's just kind of the whole message that I'm trying to send out there is that we really need to practice this. Starts with an individual, spreads to the family, spreads to the neighborhood, spreads to the community, spreads to the state, the nation, and then the world. And it's just really kind of that planting seeds. I feel like Johnny Appleseed, so to speak, that I'm trying to plant one little seed of love just in a lot of different parts of the world, hoping that they'll grow. And as they grow, that the, the love will continue to grow around the world and just be a better place for you, for me, for your children, for our grandchildren. Really needs some, it needs to start somewhere. And why not now? Mm -hmm. It's a great answer. I like that answer. I mean, I didn't expect, like, I didn't expect any kind of real uh, solution coming from you as to, you know, Israel and Palestine or anything like that, but um, you're exactly right. It's got to start somewhere. Um, how long did it really take for you to get to where you are now? I mean, you come from pretty uh, toxic legacy where you kind of harbor anger and you kind of just kind of fuels your life. I know personally that's not an easy thing to turn away from. Mm -hmm. um, so I gather it's been a pretty long journey for you. Actually, you know what, Sean. The discovery took a long, a long time. The discovery of that, okay. of that replacement behavior took a whole lot longer than anything else. Finding, finding a behavior that could replace anger, this and, and looking at to love to do that and figuring out a way to do it on a daily basis. You think of people that go to therapy. They have maybe a week, maybe two weeks, maybe three weeks between appointments. What are they doing during that time? And then all of a sudden on the calendar, it comes up again. Now they've got another appointment. They can't even think of what they've done to become a better person. This is different. This is the daily practice of love. And that daily practice of love is something that really changes your character. I was single when I created this, Sean. I didn't have, like Dr. Chapman would suggest, I did not have a significant other to practice this with. So I said, who in the heck am I going to love? And then it just dawned on me, well, you just love everybody. Love everybody you come in contact with. That for me was perfect because nobody's with their significant other 
you can't be loving constantly 24-7 with that idea that Dr. Chapman sent out. With this, I had no no other op- opportunity, no other, I, I was loving everybody. I needed that for the character change that I needed to have as well, for that generational change, that stopgap for the generational you know, blaming others and the stopgap for the generational anger that results in being annoyed with other people. I really got to the base of it. Well, I just stop being annoyed. Stop focusing on what people are doing wrong. It's not your call. It's their choice and in their life. That's what they're choosing to do. Stop trying to think that you have any control over that. You don't. Focus on those things you have control over. It'll reduce a lot of anxiety. You're not mm-hmm. anxious about what they're doing. You're anxious about what you're doing. And it really brings peace to your life. That's the focus. And that's really, really what needs to happen. It didn't take very long. As I mentioned, as soon as it became a habit, within the 30 days, as soon as it became a habit, I continue to roll it even today. But as soon as it became a habit, I stopped being angry. I, I Like I said, I was so busy focusing on the than 80 to 90% of good of people, what's right about them, that I stopped focusing on what's wrong with them and being annoyed. So it was really quick. It took a long time to find the process, but once I found the process, very, very quickly, the transformation was there. Awesome. Awesome. So what, what, uh, what's on the horizon for you now? You know, you're, you're, is it just like getting a message out then? It's just like getting on more podcasts. There are, there are a few things that I'm working on, Sean, trying to create a nonprofit that actually can, I can take this to schools. So nonprofit would collect um, donations for, from a corporation. Corporation mm-hmm. would, would fund the, the distribution of this and in the school. And what I'm doing, trying to do with it in the schools is that they'll roll it at the beginning of the day whatever love language that comes up on it that day, the teacher will, will take, you know, 30 to 40, 45 seconds, say class, we're watching for this type of behavior this day. I'm really testing it in K through six right now. So that this is the formative years. In addition, they start mostly on K through six. They're starting in one classroom and they're ending in that same classroom. on mm-hmm. day. So there's some accountability there. So to be accountable at the end of the day, what I'm having the class class do is write in a journal what they rolled, opportunities they saw to love in that way, and what they did about those opportunities. Firstly, it becomes a, a love journal. That first grader now has a love journal for all first grade. So they write write on the on the PDF, they write on the paper, they hand it in, the teacher checks off. The teacher will read the stories. If there's some good stories, the teacher might hold that paper back for a day or so, read it to the class, say, class, look what Johnny did today. And look and, and just kind of add that praise and encourage the class members to continue to monitor their own behavior. Now they're accountable for their own actions. Now they come to that realization, I'm going to have to write about this at the end of the day. What am I going <laughs> to do? Am I going to write a bad bad report for myself? Heck no, that's going back to my parents. So these kids will take that back to their parents and their parents, the student parents will keep that journal in chronological order, end of the year, bind it in some way. That's the first grade journal. I would have loved to have a journal like that, Sean, in my 
from my own first grade, I remember my teacher's name probably because she may have been very loving. She made an impact in my life. Mrs. Rogers was her name. I don't remember second grade, third, fourth, or fifth grade. I remember sixth grade. But those those in be, those grades in between, those teachers didn't make an impact. I didn't keep a journal. Now there's this opportunity for these kids to keep a journal. Not only does it build the basic foundation of love for them for their life, but it helps tamp down all the misbehaving that is happening in school. Hopefully they'll carry that to the middle school, high school, and to their life. That's a project I'm working on right now. Yeah, that's great. I think that teaches emotional intelligence mm -hmm. exactly. you know, to a high degree here because you're right, like the, uh, the elementary school level, which you know, in, the, in the United States, for those of you who are abroad that are listening, is kindergarten through generally uh, sixth grade. Right. Um, and it's, it's, a, it's typically very nurturing because you're in one room. You get to know your classmates very well. Um, but then once it gets to like junior high, then they expect you to just be sprung board into like semi-adulthood. Mm. And now they're shuffling you around from one class to another. They give you all this all this extra work that you're not accustomed to. And it's a lot of times it's very crushing. Um, Life becomes more it, complicated. It, got, it becomes more complicated very quickly. In the, over a summer, you went from one style of life to another, and they don't really integrate you into it very well. And I just know, I know for junior high, I hated junior high because it was just like, it was just overwhelming, but, and you're not very well developed emotionally to deal with it. So I think that's actually a, a great idea there because you're taking, uh, teaching kids to be accountable mm -hmm. for their own um, inner workings. I was 35. And, Remember I was 35 before I realized, oh, I'm responsible. I can't, mm -hmm. I stop blaming my dad. So yeah. take that for 35 down to six years old or five years old or seven years old. I mean, it's, it's a huge leap that they'll have ahead of me. There'll be a better generation. <laughs> Well, Paul, um, we have a closing tradition on the podcast where the guest gets to have the final word. All right. So if you could like send out one message for everyone to remember, if they could remember nothing else, what would you say it would be? Sean, I, I love classic movies and I love the sound of music. In the sound of okay. music, there's a there's a scene where Rolf is he's the little mailman that rides his bike around. He's on the ground singing to one of the Von Trapp sisters on the second story. And some of the lyrics of that song are what he says is love in the heart wasn't put there to stay. Love isn't love till it's given away. <laughs> there you have it. That's great. That's a great message there. And probably see my little crazy guy back there speaking of love. <laughs> yeah. Well, uh, Paul, thank you for coming on, man. It's been a great conversation. I love your insights, and uh, good luck on everything. Thank you, John. On now. What, a pleasure. Yeah, what so, a pleasure to be with you today. Fun thank conversation. Thank you so much. Thank you to everyone who is listening, and uh, if you're going to watch this online here, crazy little guy back there can't help himself. He's getting bored. <laughs> uh, thanks, everyone who's listening. I'll catch you next time. Keep training hard. Peace out.